Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today, we have Kaylee McMahon. Kaylee has purchased over $65 million in multifamily real estate as a general partner and has been involved in real estate as an active and passive investor, home flipper, note investor, and broker. So thank you so much for being on the show, Kaylee. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. So I, I touched a little bit on your uh, expansive real estate experience in so many different uh, kind of uh, areas. Can you get, expand on your background prior to become a full-time real estate syndicator? Yeah, so um, I have a residential brokerage and mm -hmm. uh, it's funny because here and there it'll kind of come back, you know, like right now I'm a little bit bored. I keep putting in offers on deals mm -hmm. and deals and deals and it's like, they just, they all way, are way overpriced. So I have to walk away. So I'm like, well, I'm kind of bored. So a couple of friends, like one wants to build a house. I don't have time to get into that but I'm okay with referring it out, you know, mm -hmm. getting a fee, you know, um, I got someone that's really interested in doing a bunch of leases, same thing. I just teach someone my system that I used to do. That's my dog itching herself. <laughs> um, and then basically say, you know, go get her and um, collect a fee. So it's, it's kind of passive income um, or semi-passive income, which is cool. And then uh, for example, um, on my vision board, um, I still have the ability to do certain creative things for myself. For example, on my vision board is this, I really want to live above a garage in an apartment. I don't know why I just, I, I want to. So funny as I was like, okay, I'm going to go on tax records this weekend and bam in Fort Worth, six blocks away from an apartment that I just bought is a, um, 1925 property that has a back house on it. That's two stories tall, two car garage. And I'm like, Perfect. Uh, so I'm going to live in the little crap. I would live in the little crappy apartment garage and then flip the main house, either subdivide and sell off or likely just um, just put people in there and then have a rear entrance because there is a back alley behind. So you can drive in um, on the backside. So it's uh, it's not like an easement, but it's just a back entrance. So um, super low maintenance. You know what I mean? Uh, my dog is turning 12 on Thursday. So she is very low maintenance and isn't going to be around forever. So I just, I, my living situation, I like to live in a very small place that requires almost zero cleaning. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so as far as uh, before syndicating and, and it's still daring, again, I can still do some creative things. That's essentially like a house hack, but it's like a little bit different. So, so why did you choose real estate as your investment vehicle when you started? Uh, it chose me, I think, tell you the truth, because um, when I got started, I was in a completely different industry, working with wealthy people, scheduling their lives, figuring out how to make systems and um, systems essentially to be able to help their lives become more efficient. So uh, that's something I enjoy doing, period, uh, project management, that kind of thing. And uh, it was a sole proprietor business, however, and a friend of mine had brought up, okay, if you want to scale you need marketing systems, people in a process. Mm -hmm. And if you're the one doing everything, you know, how, how are you going to scale? And so uh, get some cash from real estate, sell some houses, put it into that business. And that was the plan. However, once I got into it, I got interested in the idea of investing because my, my understanding of investing was stock market and my adoptive dad did it and didn't teach me anything about it when I asked. So I just was like, okay, I guess that investment box I'll put in the closet for later. And didn't know anything about investing, realized in real estate, there are so many sub 
um, niches, I suppose, of different ways that you can invest. I mean, you can own everything that you see and touch it's, it's and do all kinds of creative stuff with it. So kind of once I learned about that, I was hooked. Yeah. So why do you think, cause you transitioned from a real estate agent into an investor. Why do you think a lot of agents don't do that? Because they already have, I already told them that you're already a professional investor or you're, you know, you're already a full-time investor so you can get all those passive write-offs of all your active income and stuff. But it's something most people don't do. Most agents aren't investors. Right. Right. Which is annoying to me, tell you the truth. Because <laughs> that's something that makes so much sense. And it's so easy for someone that, you know, you sell a really big house and you make a $20,000 check. And immediately what I did with that is I think I had like two or three, you know, big ish sales close at the end of a year. And that turned into earnest money to buy 50 units, mm -hmm. you know? So um, why wouldn't you do that? I, I don't know. I think it's lack of education. And so that's part of why we have our SheVest app uh, that's available to explain to specifically women, which who, that's the people who really dominate um, residential real estate. Mm -hmm. We kill it, you know? And so if you have a convenient place to look at how does cash flow work, tax advantages, so um, that convenient education is, is in that app. So hopefully um, one of my lists of groups to get in front of besides women that are, um, you know, like me from um, different abuse organizations where they just don't know that they have other options, they can actively get involved. I mean, with crowdfunding coming out, there's so many ways that, um, or with it being out, there's so many ways they can get involved, but also just understanding how it works, even from an agent's perspective. So that's part of one of the groups that, um, that I want to target. And the other part of it too, I think is because I think when you're, when I was an agent, the only understanding I had was from rich dad, poor dad, and how to get into flipping a single small house at a time, and then figuring that you were going to scale up kind of from there. So you're still an S you're still a sole proprietor. You're still running like a, I got to do everything kind of business. And until you get to the point where you have like crews and you're doing like 10 plus flips a month or five a month or whatever, you have to create scalable systems. You're, you're then a business that if you set it up right, you can have it run itself. Uh, but it, it can, it's a completely different mind shift from, you know, uh, investing as an individual to then having a business. And when you get involved in commercial real estate, you really have to be able to kind of get over yourself, put a team together and be a lot more professional and operate on a totally different level than just, you know, doing your own thing. Yeah, for sure. It's that, uh, the mindset and the ability to really, um, allow partners into your business, I guess you would say, or partner with yeah. other people because you can't on smaller properties, you can kind of do it yourself. If you have some assistance somewhere, but you, when you're, when you start getting larger, it's just very, very difficult to do that. Yeah. But, um, so, so what, what feels intimidating, like I've started some very small little businesses and tried to pull some other women in and they just, I don't know if they don't like my, we're, we're going to talk about that this month on my women who invest Wednesday group is uh, our relationships with money because I had a very unhealthy one growing up, wasn't allowed to know what my dad made, what he did for a living. I mean, all this stuff. And so a lot of subconscious things probably as women are passed on to us, which is, you know, BS, but you know, as far as being able to say, I, I am a business owner. I am a CEO. I, you know, I can take on this much responsibility. Um, it is not overwhelming if you have a team anyway, but. Yeah. So what was your first couple of real estate investments? How did you start? First one was a little house that was like a, a crack house. Um, and it was okay. First investments, crack house, uh, real estate note that was like five grand. Um, let me think. And then a partnership house like a little flip and then um 50 units mm -hmm. into an apartment so it was uh 26 and 24 so i guess that's like four but yeah those are the first ones nice interesting so what is your company's current investment strategy and criteria 
So the criteria, I'm not gonna remember every little point of it, but basically right. we're looking for value add assets. Um, currently, so I've got a fund and the fund is specifically targeting COVID affected or post COVID affected, mm. um, COVID-19 <laughs> affected assets in secondary markets. Cause I've found that there are in the, in the primary areas, there are some people, you know, pre-defaulting on their loans. You know, we're, we're still dealing with a little bit of that, the kicking the can down the road thing from forbearance. So it's going to get bad, I think in 2023, um, and then it's going to start, you're going to start seeing some distress like June, July here in, here in Texas. I mean, you're already seeing it in, um, East and West coast markets, but that's not, that's not where we operate. So, uh, the fund itself is meant to start in these secondary markets. Cause what I have seen in Texas is that the secondary markets have these people that they have the population, they have the population growth, they have kind of all of the, not the best economic drivers. Like if I was moving into Austin, for example, oh, I'm going to be by the Tesla factory, like different deal, you know, but these secondary markets, they have, they have some economic drivers. And point is, is that it's a stable market. Um, and they're just business owners that are unprofessional. So, okay. you know, it's someone that they live in their property, they live in a 200 unit property and they have all their, their bros stay there. And it's a frat house and they're not taken care of. They don't, they didn't have a budget for CapEx. They don't um, do marketing correctly. They don't have, you know, it's, it's vacant and they just blame COVID. And it's like, well, on our properties that are in primary and tertiary and secondary markets, you know, we just were very proactive hmm. in working with tenants or sorry, residents uh, saying, okay, you can pay whenever, you know, we can finance it for you. You can put on a credit card. We gave them like pizza to thank them for staying. Um, you know, didn't, didn't do the rent bump increase that we were planning on timely. We said, okay, we'll hold off six months. So, you know, we were just proactive. And I think across the whole portfolio, I think this asset behind me in Phoenix was the only one that saw like a 1% year over year decrease in collections. Wow. So, you know. yeah, yeah. We did the same thing with like gift cards to people that paid on time. So Walmart gift cards and anything that the property managers were working with us to put together. And I think those are the assets that really pulled through like us. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess one or 2% maybe, you know, decrease uh, in, uh, in collections. But um, the other thing too, I want to talk about is with the distressed assets that you're finding, you said some of them are mismanaged. Um, other ones, were they people that got them on like really like bridge lending, uh, like short-term debt, and they were trying to do it right before COVID or during COVID? Is that anything that they weren't able to refinance out or? I haven't seen that yet. Uh, what I have seen was specifically with the lender Arbor Arbor Mortgage. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that they allowed some um, over leverage to happen. And so um, when I'm seeing people that are kind of behind or getting to be behind or whatnot, it's just that their, their leverage is like 80% plus. Um, and that's something that I learned from a lender in, in Georgia with CBRE Peachtree, actually. Ann Cohn is her name. And she, she's been in the biz for a while. So she had told me a while ago, like, Honestly, if you're going to originate some kind of loan during COVID, I think that you're totally fine based on my historic lens staying under 75% leverage. You know, anything over that, I would, I would caution you not to do that and make sure that you have reserves regardless. So these probably didn't have reserves or probably over leveraged, you know, so. So what is your role at your firm when you're looking at properties? Are you doing a lot of the acquisitions and underwriting? It depends, honestly. And underwriting is a no. You know, obviously <laughs> I look at the underwriting, we'll tweak it, tweak it, tweak it, depending on like what's going on with insurance rates, what's going on with like how many um, basis points we need to adjust our exit cap rate mm -hmm. based on like the knowledge I have of the market. What we have done so far is stick within Texas, really, because um, I study these different markets and all of them are, are different. 
you know, we're looking at a really good deal right now in Lubbock and Lubbock is full of crime. You know what I mean? But there's a certain like sliver of town mm -hmm. on the north side. I uh, forget the highway that goes straight up. But anyway, there's a small sliver of town that, that is actually pretty good. So uh, it's just, again, looking at these opportunities. So uh, underwriting is not what I spend my time doing. That's Carolina's role. She is a um, mathematician, um, business analyst, um, I'm trying to remember all her different roles, but basically <laughs> what she enjoys doing is gathering data. For example, she's going to be the one that we've, we're now actually tweaking our roles a little bit more to bring her in more so that she can transition from her full-time job into syndicating full-time. But she's got a son and she's a single mom. So she can't just like jump yet. No. But point is, is uh, she enjoys looking at data that we get from property managers to check if they're cooking the books, you know, to make sure that uh, our maintenance turn time is on schedule where it should be that like our inventory uh, supply chain, et cetera, that it's, it's on time that, you know, people aren't purchasing things that are a waste or like return on investment of certain supplies that we're looking at purchasing. Okay. Should we do cedar versus, you know, another material? So um, that's really where she shines. So for me, what I shine is, you know, or in is being the local one, you know, so she's in Los Angeles and maybe moving to Miami soon, but, um, but she's not here. And so for me, uh, being, you know, visually on the properties, um, touring stuff all the time, meeting with brokers, um, like I'm going to go drive by a property, um, tomorrow. Um, but anyway, just getting a, a feel for, you know, is this actually a good area? Cause, cause one thing is that whenever you read the OM or whatever that, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's one thing versus reality. So I guess my strength is, um, project management, uh, having a good gut feel on how that market's going to perform based on, you know, numbers and then having her check the numbers to make sure that we'll actually we do numbers first. Then I go look at it. Then we do numbers again. So mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a team effort, you know, and then even now, um, as we're looking to expand into larger assets, as we're looking to expand into different things, um, even bringing on some other people that um, have a lot more experience than we do as essentially advisors, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're going to be really fortunate soon here. We've got a 1031 exchange coming in from Los Angeles for this next deal we're working on right now. And this guy has done like 90 deals. You know what I mean? Nice. Like he, he knows a lot of stuff. So he's added some value already with saying, okay, let's add VAs here. Let's make the customer experience better here. Let's do, you know, so. Hmm. Nice, nice. So with us, I mean, we're on a similar page here where we're looking at 100, 150 plus properties now and trying to, you know, put stuff under contract and when we do, but um, what are you initially looking at kind of the shakeout apartments, uh, properties before even going further into them? Obviously looking at numbers, then you're going to do something on the property itself. I imagine you're looking at the construction, you're looking at the area, et cetera. What are the things that you're doing quickly, let's say, um, not a full underwriting uh, overview of the property to stuff you want to see or stuff you're like, you know what, that's probably a no-go. Yeah. So um, like I was kind of going through my criteria earlier and I didn't really do a good job of finishing because I squirreled, but um, you know, looking at a value add deal, there's, there's a value add play and then there's like a longer term um, yield play, I suppose. And mm -hmm. so, uh, or, or, or slight value add, but not heavy construction value add. So there's, there's different things, but it's all C-class workforce housing. So that's got to be one thing. The, the broker sending us stuff usually know, you know, mm -hmm. I still do get some stuff that's like B plus class, A class. And I'm like, why am I getting this? But so that would be a no, you know, really quick. I don't need to look at the email. Um, I first want to know what's the whisper, uh, what, um, what's the percentage of units that are still classic? Uh, because one thing I've had very, uh, a lot of success with is if we have 
at least 70% meat on the bone. So then that we can get in there, we can flip a chunk and leave 40, 50% meat on the bone left when we're done. The next mm. buyer still has some kind of value. Um, so that's something that I look for. And then I guess whenever we're looking at a deal and for example, if you're, um, you want to know um, if there's an opportunity for operations to improve. So if you're looking at the PL and you're going, Oh, look at their, um, their expense ratio, about 50% is about normal. Yeah, are we high? Are we low? Um, sometimes low means there's an improvement needed in marketing, for example. Um, but you're looking through for opportunities really. And so if, if I'm sitting there going, okay, everything's pretty much flipped. Um, I'm having to do an assumption uh, of whatever that current debt is. So there's no room for me to go find a better loan with better interest rate or better terms or whatever, I'm just locked. Um, I can't really improve much more. They've already done all of the LEDs, all of the rubs, uh, ratio utility bill back. They've already like done all of the operational plays too, where sometimes, you know, your staff is overpaid or you have too many people that are being inefficient. You always look for just opportunities. I mean, if there's, if we're going ding, 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 and there's nothing there, I'm like, well, I, I didn't need to underwrite this. So. Yeah. Uh, explain uh, some listeners might not know about the whisper. Can you explain a little bit what the whisper is? Yeah. That, it lets a broker know that you're, you're, you're a baller. No, I'm just kidding. That you're, <laughs> you're, you're experienced. Um, so really just whenever I get a listing, the first thing I do, and this is key whenever you're trying to get into an active or a deal as an active person hmm. is engaging with the brokers consistently. Like even if you can't meet in person, you get these emails and maybe that deal doesn't work or it, when it kind of does and you have some questions, the first thing I do is see the listing and boom, email them right away. And I go, happy taco Tuesday, you know, what, uh, what is the whisper? And the whisper just means like, what is basically the price that the seller uh, wants, you know, mm -hmm. um, or what you think that you guys can, it, it depends depending on a couple factors, but basically what, what do they want for it? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Thank you very much for explaining that. So you've invested passively, you invest actively and, um, let's talk about how you're vetting partners that you're working with on both sides, or if you're investing with, if it's passive, how do you vet and underwrite those general partners? And when you're talking to passive investors for you, how do you, or maybe they want to pass invest anywhere, maybe with you, maybe someone else, how do you explain to them that they should be doing their vetting? Um, so when I look at some, I'm, I'm only going to, I don't really give advice except for to say, hey, here's what I do because mm -hmm. uh, I've learned a lot of lessons in this category. Uh, when you are an active principal and, you know, for example, whenever you're looking at the leadership team, you obviously have to have somebody that has experience and like, that's a general word, general term. But when you're looking at experience, you want to know, you know, have they been able to do whatever their plan is right now before, you know, have they done a value add, for example, or a yield play or whatever the thing is that we're doing new development, whatever the, the deal is. You want to know that they have a track record uh, doing that before. Um, you want to make sure that there's somebody involved that, um, like for, for me, I'm newer, you know, I've only been in the industry three and a half, four years, something like that. And so, uh, that's not a lot of time, you know, having uh, access to resources, whether it's like your mentor, whether it's a board advisor or whether it's your brother or whatever, somebody that's been doing it for a long time. So I've got people that I call and I make that pretty clear to our investors that it's not just, you know, the three of us, there's also plenty of other people that I call when I, when I, when things happen, because I don't have all the answers. So um, knowing that that person in, in personality wise, like, do you guys even mesh up? So when you're vetting par partners as an active person, um, you know, like a new person, for example, like letting them come in and, and have all the voting rights, basically, that's not a good idea. Like I've learned mm -hmm. that lesson uh, because unless you've gone through this process and you understand 
people have to get paid or they don't work. Uh, you have to understand that, you know, obviously the first priority is your mortgage. Uh, they have to understand how securities offering works that you can't tell investors you're going to do this and then change your freaking mind. It doesn't work. Really. It's securities fraud. You literally have to, if you put in there, you're going to refi, you get a refi. If you didn't, you're not, you know, or if you said, I'm going to pay my investors, you know, quarter one, year two, or whatever it is that you put in there, you got to pay them. You know what I mean? And it doesn't mean that like, if you're in COVID and like, you're not making the types of uh, income or type of income that you thought, plus you need more reserves, you know, you might have to pull back what they're getting paid for a little bit, just to make sure that you have the cash flow and reserves you, you need, but you still got to pay them. You know what I mean? So I've just, I've run into situations. And then also when you're vetting an active partner, um, it's really important to know, like, what are your, your ethics and values and not just like, not religion. I mean, yeah. like your business, what is, what is the, your, your mode of operation, I guess, for example, you know, do you believe in improving the property, even if that feature doesn't necessarily make income? So putting in a dog park, you know what I mean? Making sure that we have the front office looking like the best, uh, and it's going to cost extra money and it's not making income like a locker would, or, you know, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? like it's not a, yeah. it's not a reserved parking spot, but, um, do we believe in the same type of value plan for the property um, or, or is money our number one motivator period? And so nothing else matters or, you know, our personalities, for example, um, there's people with borderline personality disorders, you know, and they're pretty good at hiding it until stuff gets tough. You know what I mean? So it's, it's really good to do what I do now and kind of business date. And I think it's important for passives to even do that too. Um, but being able to, see that person hang out with them you know what I mean I, I try to put together a yearly event uh, at my buddy's branch and if people will come out that's how they can meet see hang out do some zip lining you know what I mean like really hang yeah. out and uh really ask those hard questions like even for example one of the biggest things that I'd want to know is where Kaylee if someone was asking me where have you screwed up royally screwed up and what did you do about it and how do you not do that again what are the systems in place or the safety nets that you put in place now so that doesn't happen again you know because no yeah. one's perfect things are gonna freaking happen yeah. these properties people die there's floods there's arson there's i mean there's all kinds of crap lawsuits you know and as an active person you got to deal with all of it so um ask that person you know like what have they been through how'd they fix it and then what what do they learn moving forward so i think that's the biggest thing because if someone's going to tell you that nothing's ever happened that's bs or they're too new yeah. um or they don't have true leadership skills is, is what I could say, because a leader is someone who can um, admit when they're wrong. Uh, they provide a solution plan and they basically get the whole team on board and they execute, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. And they also make sure that those, the people that are, uh, that they say have all this experience are actively actually active on leadership team, not just someone that they brought on to sign on debt because he did a hundred deals. Right, right, right. You know, so it's like someone who's making these decisions and then tell me about your property management company. So that's really great information. I love that all. Um, what are common mistakes you see other real estate investors make? Common, I don't know, but I can give you like a long list of the mistakes I've seen that I'm just sitting there going, this doesn't make sense. Why would you do this? Like, for example, there was one deal where they had the uh, property manager sign on the freaking loan and it's not a bank loan. It's a uh, non-recourse agency loan. When people are guarantors on those things, you can't get them off, you know? So if you've got like a, a terrorist on your team, who's stealing money and threatening people and not getting anything done as a, as the vendor property manager, the occupancy suffering, you can't get rid of them. Don't do that. That's stupid, you know, uh, or not wise. Let's just say that. Um, I think that when it comes to uh, again, communication, 
um, some mistakes that I see are that people in your bylaws, you know, for example, it says like how many meeting minutes we're supposed to have and that people just don't have them. Uh, it's really important to have them to keep track of that um, and keep the whole team on board. So for example, we have kids, we're busy, this, that, and the other, but you know, you have maybe a Zoom call or an in-person meeting, however you do it. And then having kind of like a little bit of a recording afterwards, they can come back and reference or having a Slack channel where we follow up on stuff. I'm trying to figure out how to use Acta.ai, which basically is a, uh, there's other ones, but it's an AI personal assistant that can log in as like another person to your Zoom meeting and then transcribe the whole meeting. So you can go back and look at it. And then also you can say, um, like like as like your assistant's name, you give the thing a name and you say, uh, Charlie, put blah on the calendar for this day and add this person do on whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like a yeah. task and then it will action it inside Trello. So nice. yeah, so basically it's, it's a pain in the butt, but having, you know, a... We have record of what we were doing, why we were doing it, who's supposed to be in charge, when it's due. That's that's the biggest thing as a leader is making sure that it's clear um, who's in charge of what, stay in your lane, when is it due. Um, so that's another mistake I see too is people don't pick a lane and stay in it. They always they want to micromanage yeah. other people's roles. You, you can't do that. That's disrespectful and it's inefficient too. Yeah. Um, another big mistake I think I see is that uh, I'm learning as a young person, you know, getting old quite rapidly. <laughs> I've had a lot of gray hair this year. Oh my God. Um, but the business being a, even an active investor in multifamily, for example, if I um, owned a car business, you know, I was selling cars on a lot or whatever, that is obviously a very active business. You have sales managers and salespeople and you're there every day and, and you're you're really in charge of it. Whereas whenever you have a large property, you have a property management company, you kind of have these people that are in place to run things for you. However, they do not run it for you. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, they need, and I don't want to say babysitting because there's like this, this uh, line where you don't want to micromanage people, but you have to keep them accountable, you know? So it's just having those very professional conversations on a regular basis that here's, here's your KPI or your performance or the due date or whatever it is that we expect uh, having clear communication on that. And then when it's not being done, having clear communication about, okay, here's next steps. Remember, we're going to have to start working with other people if you're not meeting these uh, these deadlines. And uh, again, having that conversation where essentially they're like, okay, well, I, they already get it. And it becomes a non-stressful situation for you to be able to, to manage people without micromanaging them. You know, if they don't take enough pride in their work or initiative, I mean, that's, you can't make somebody do that. You can give them an opportunity, but anyway, so being able to, um, to kind of manage from afar, but also be in it. So you do have yeah. to be active. Like I've met someone that's worth a bunch of money and they are like, look, this is not a passive industry. I don't know who says it is. Um, not that I'm doing the construction myself, not that I'm micromanaging people, but you know, like having my partner who's very into uh, analytics and numbers, like that's a key role to have because they can sit there and go, the data says this, Kaylee, how are you going to like action that in real life? So then it's my job to go like do stuff with the, the information and the decisions. So, yeah, no, that's very interesting. The same thing yeah, like you have with, yeah, actively managing those property managers is, um, you know, if, if someone's fridge stopped working, you don't have to call me and ask me if it's okay to get them another fridge. If you're putting a whole new HVAC system into someone's unit, you probably want to tell me beforehand that would be above whatever threshold we set for money you're spending. So it's really, but that's, you're not going to know that from a, uh, initial new relationship with your property manager. That is all have all have thresholds have to be put in place so you're on the same page. It'll take time for you to mesh with your property managers, but um, yeah, like you said, it's very active. That's for sure.
Yep. Having those pro formas set ahead of time, you know, and then having like your takeover meeting within a week of closing. All right, guys, month one, here's what we're doing. Who's in charge of what, you know, here's our budget, you know, all that in your pro formas important and having it documented, just like I mentioned, like the meetings so that you can go, ah, we had that conversation, you know? So as we're wrapping up here, what are some uh, factors that have contributed to your success? Um, I think the fact that just naturally I'm a lifetime learner. That's something that I really enjoy doing. I have a thirst or a hunger for learning. Um, I'm always reading. Like I was getting a tattoo two days ago and I'm sitting there with a book, you know, and they're, and they're like, you're smart. You know, and I'm like, no, I just, I want to know, you know? And so actually um, I think that that's one thing that uh, even once I learned for the most part, how the model of a value-add investment should go. I still want to find other ways to make it better, make it more efficient. Um, I get excited to, to learn that kind of stuff. So that's one thing. And then also I think um, the learning feeds into kind of the um, ability for me to be aware of who I am as a person and be able to work on myself and be able to know like, you know, we, we aren't perfect, right? Some of us have bad habits. Some of us have uh, behaviors that aren't great, you know, but being someone that's aware of those things who have spent time working on it um, helps me to be able to lead people, people better, be able to take better care of myself, uh, better care of other people. Um, so being able to kind of, um, look at myself through, uh, the lens of someone from the outside looking in, I guess, um, and being objective and not, you know, thinking I know all the answers or, um, you know, acting like I, you know, I, I don't trying to be as, as wise as possible. Um, and then trusting, uh, trusting experts. Cause I mean, they may not always have the right perfect answers or whatever, but again, you got to kind of like respect people's lanes uh, and work together collaboratively as a team. Nice. Okay. So you're the apartment queen. You mentor women in all stages of real estate investing. Tell us a little bit about your podcast meetup and your programs. Uh, so the podcast, we just got it back on iTunes today. We were having some uh, corruption issue where it wouldn't play for a while. So uh, the podcast pretty much right at this moment has been about uh, interviewing women and what it really takes to make it in business. So there's a point where you have an idea, then you start doing some stuff, getting some data, selling some stuff, and then getting to traction where you're really ramping up. And so it kind of goes through the process of different women in different industries, how they've been able to, to get to that point. Like, what does it really take? Do you got to live with your mom and dad? Do you got to put your first business on a credit card like I did? Do you, I mean, like, what does it take? Um, and some of that comes along with, you know, our challenges with, um, male and female interactions. It just depends on what, what person I've interviewed of what, uh, what we talk about, but pretty much what it takes to make it in business as a female. Um, what was the second question? Uh, just about all the different, you have a meetup, like all these different things that you're doing on the side of building this, uh, your, your active real estate portfolio. Yeah. So it's um, kind of part of bringing on uh, educated investors or she investors as we call mm -hmm. them. So uh, we've got a program, 1031 program. We've taken women's investments from uh, other states and rolled it into a multifamily uh, investment. So they have at least 2x their portfolio. So that's something that helps us build our portfolio uh, because we have more cash in the bank, basically helps them to be able to avoid that capital gains tax and be able to get into a larger, uh, more professional portfolio. Um, we also have... Um, trying to think of everything. There's, there's a book uh, that just got released last week. So it got to number one bestseller on day one for commercial real estate. Check that out. It's called uh, women in multifamily real estate, okay. just kind of showing you who it takes to do this, you know, and then from just the female lens, you've got women on there who are lenders, brokers, SEC attorneys, whatever that, that have kids, how they balance it, how they, you know what I mean? So just from a different lens, um, because I think that that's a, a lens that's not really well, um, 
well thought through in this industry. It's mostly a, like a male dominated industry. So um, those are two, two big things. Uh, we have an app called SheVest. And so this isn't necessarily specifically for multifamily. Uh, it's for commercial assets that cash flow. So really it's how do you work on your mindset? And then how do you get educated just from a convenient app about all of the different investment vehicles and commercial real estate that cash flow, pros and cons of each. So maybe you want to get involved in one or the other and then how to look at investment documents. So it's supposed to kind of take away all the fear of what I don't know and what usually will stop women from just you know getting involved. Hmm. Um, and then um, let's see what else um, I should. Oh, and like I mentioned earlier, our fund, that's another thing that's really important. So it's a female focused fund. The men that invest in that fund, they actually have to take a pledge where on their subscription documents, they pick a female mentee and they put her information on there like you would a spouse. Okay. And then in our investment portal, they the mentee puts in a quarterly report. It could be a couple sentences, nothing crazy, but so that she's aware of the pros and cons and what's going on in this investment, why they chose the investment, et cetera. And then if he can keep that up for a calendar year, then actually his preferred return on the fund will go from 7% to 7.25%. Oh. So, I mean, what, what can I do to create more female investors in a place where I feel like there are not, not feel like the numbers say there are not enough of us, you know, and especially with more divorced households where women have to be the head of household and maybe didn't have the financial education. It's really important for us to, to kind of take responsibility for learning how to be uh, financially empowered. Uh, and so that is how all of these different programs kind of all weave in together to give women opportunities to get invested in multifamily, uh, working on it right now, like I mentioned, crowdfunding expanded to where we can take down to a minimum uh, of a thousand dollars now through crowdfunding nice. uh, for certain assets that we have coming out. Um, so now grandma can invest, you know, it's not the, the barrier to entry is lowered and that, that was what my goal was. Nice. That is awesome. You have a lot of things going on. So how can people learn about you and about your businesses? Yeah, just uh, check out our website, theapartmentqueen.com. And then if you go to the top, the, um, the menu bar, it's got all the different programs, mm-hmm. uh, YouTube channel, like there's, there's so much stuff on there. Just start digging. Yeah, for sure. I went through her, your website. It's, uh, it's got a lot of information and then links to everything. So theapartmentqueen.com, I will put that link into the show notes. And I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.